The world of e-commerce can be tricky, and that's why you need the experts to help take you to the next level. This is Delivering E-Commerce. Delivering E-Commerce. You'll hear from leaders and industry experts from around the globe, letting you in on their stories and journeys. Your host has 25 years in the retail industry and has been leading the strategy and development of e-commerce sites for 17 years, working with Walmart, Newegg, Big Al's, Rins Pets, and Home Hardware. We think he may be qualified. This is Delivering E-Commerce. And this is Chris Parsons. Hey, everyone. Welcome to Delivering E-Commerce. I'm your host, Chris Parsons. I'm so excited to be live tonight with a live Q&A. And I have some wonderful folks with me. Uh, Crystal, would you love to do an introduction of yourself? Yeah, sure. Thanks so much for having me. So my name is Crystal Boudreau and I work for Altus Recruitment. I help clients uh, in specifically in retail industries and amongst other industries um, help source their candidates for permanent and contract opportunities. So yeah, really excited. It's been about 11 years since I've been in the industry and uh, really excited to be here. Excellent. And Joseph? Hi, everyone. Hey, Chris. Hey, Crystal. Uh, Joseph McConlogue here. I'm Managing Director and Co-Founder at Round2 Digital. We are uh, an e-commerce-focused performance digital agency focused on demand gen for uh, clients that are selling direct-to-consumer through their own .com channels or .ca channels, um, and also e-retailers like Amazon, Target, Instacart, and others. Awesome. And Joseph, for anyone that's watching that uh, you want to learn more about Joseph, we're going to learn a lot about him over the next hour, but we, uh, he was my very first, um, my very first episode that is. And, uh, we had a great time on that, uh, that conversation. I and encourage anyone to go and check that out. So, um, let's get to this Q and a. So, um, lots of folks have submitted questions. I know people are probably just getting settled in at home. It is around dinner time for, for normal people. I, I like to work. And so let's uh, schedule a, a Thursday night, six o'clock uh, Q and a, um, but, uh, while everyone else gets settled in with uh, with their families, and hopefully uh, we'll uh, start to see the uh, watchers uh, start to climb. Um, but let's get on with the uh, the first question here. And actually, Crystal, let's start with your question. You um, you had a question about. Um, um, hold on, I need to find it now. I've jumped around so many screens here. Um, <clears throat> you had a question about in the current climate, uh, where many retailers are operating completely online, and most of us are our hiring has also shifted to become remote. What advice do we want to give to candidates that are uh, being interviewed or trying to get noticed for an interview? Joseph, do you want to take that one first? Yeah, I think, you know, for, for any candidate, for me, if you have a little bit of experience, don't be shy about the work that you've done, right? Don't, don't, uh, don't feel like you have to, you have to hide anything, right? Or you want to keep secrets, I would say be open and honest with your achievements. Um, have a second set of eyes to come look at it. You know, if you have uh, if you have someone that you've worked with in the past that would be able to vet your resume and maybe um, pick it apart a little bit and 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 find very specific ways that you impacted a client's business, um, be sure to call those out. A second set of eyes can help out quite a bit. 
That's that's great advice. I mean, for me, um, I like people who are brash and want to stand out. And, you know, one of my very first hires was this gentleman, Yolandi. Um, Yolandi didn't necessarily have the skill sets that I was looking for, but what he did have was the courage to reach out to me on LinkedIn and ask for a conversation. His resume was buried. It was probably a resume that I wasn't going to get to or probably even consider, considering it didn't really match up to the job description. And what he did by reaching out to LinkedIn, asking me for 15 minutes of a conversation or if I was able to go for a coffee, stood out over the stacks and stacks of uh, resumes that were coming in. And I hired Yolandi two weeks later. He uh, learned so much at Walmart and he's now director at another company because he's just grown in e-commerce. And and that's what I love is when people, now everyone's going to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Um, but that's what I really love about people that just, you know what, they're not going to let the typical flow and process uh, dictate their career. It's they take it into the control themselves. I love that. Crystal, what do you think? That's amazing. Yeah, I love that. It's you know, I think that in this day and age, too, we're seeing a lot more unique, whether it's an application or, gosh, I've heard crazy things like, you know, TikTok videos to go and apply for positions. So I think the possibilities are endless. But, you know, you always want to kind of make that judgment call and see what's too far, you know, and what's still remaining within that kind of professional realm. But I agree with you. I think that it's a really candidate driven market right now, even though people think that, you know, unemployment rates, you know, are so high. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still a lot of competition out there, you know, so oftentimes I'm encouraging my clients to really be selling their opportunities because during that interview process, it's as much them interviewing you as you interviewing them. So an opportunity to stand out for sure. And I think that for me, it's always been something I encourage to that follow up piece. I think that the follow up piece to really show mm-hmm. your engagement and being intentional with the questions that you ask. I think that for me, questions have always played a big part. And yeah, it's a pet peeve when you kind of open up that opportunity to ask a question and they're like, nope, no, nope, I'm good. I've, you know, everything's been answered. So I think it's like a missed opportunity to get to know them a little bit better. Yeah, I think that comes with experience, though, of um, going to a job and you didn't ask the right questions. And then three to six months into it, you're regretting taking that role. And then you realize how important it was for you to also interview the company, understand if they the right fit from an ethics or a culture perspective. Mm-hmm. So I think that does become um, a habit of anyone that's switched jobs a couple of times, that they now know themselves, they know what they want, they know what they're looking for. I think for young candidates coming out of school, they're just happy to, to get their first job on their resume. So that's why a lot yeah. of them are just like, yeah, yeah, I'm, we're good. We're good. You're interested. <laughs> I have a heartbeat. Let's do this. Uh, True. Um, so I see a couple of people that have already made some comments. So Sam, thanks for your comment. And um, I'm not sure who Ugly Wolf is, but that's a great, uh, great name. Um, so hello, Ugly Wolf. And uh, so Sam says that uh, LinkedIn has a great service where they, they will review your profile and let you know what the areas should be to be updated and improved on your, on your LinkedIn profile and resume. So that's a great tip as well. Thanks, Sam, for for adding that to the conversation. Let's I would say, you know, just to, just to add to that point, Chris, and sorry, sorry to jump yeah, in. No, here. anytime. Out of that point, I mean, there are, if you're looking for work, a resume is going to be so important, right? So I would encourage anyone to get onto Upwork or get onto freelance.com or whatever it is and find a resume expert, right? Mm-hmm. That can, again, be that second set of eyes that knows what they're doing, can help make your points more impactful and make your resume stand out. You may have to pay for it, 
you might be two, three, four hundred dollars, but it's money very well spent. It'll be formatted very nicely. The story will be clear and concise. And it'll be impactful um, for sure. Excellent. Well, that's a great point. So what do you think about, though, if depending on the position, uh, if you're a graphics designer, how should it just be black and white text or should you spruce it up knowing that you're applying for a graphics role? Any thoughts? That's not your question. Crystal, you want to jump on? <laughs> yeah, I think that it can't be too busy, but I certainly think that anything in the creative suite, this is your opportunity. If someone's applying for a graphics position and they're sending me a black and white resume, I don't think that it speaks, you know, much about what they have to offer. Right. You know, that is your opportunity to share a little bit about you. So as long as it's still not too busy and too loud, then I love a little bit of a, you know, a little bit yeah. of a color on there. I've seen even some, a lot of different ideas. You know, I recently had someone do like a video cover letter, you know, and she was sharing it on LinkedIn and she kind of targeted some of the, she was really focused on companies that had um, a lot of, you know, eagerness towards sustainability. So she really kind of targeted where she was looking for, uh, but it was amazing. It was really well done. So anything mm -hmm. to make you stand out for sure, I would do that. Yeah. yeah so it's, like, ahead, it's, no, it's know the role, right? Know the role that you're mm -hmm. going for and, and kind of straddle the line between you don't want to be cheesy, right? You don't want to overdo it. You want it to be tasteful, but you want it to be relevant to your, um, to the, to the role that you're going after. Yeah, I saw them uh, folks do where they create a logo and a brand for themselves. And that's what I love when you're applying for a graphics designer role is to show that kind of creativity. So um, I see Ugly Wolf is actually a really good, really good gentleman in the in the industry, David McLeod. So, David, thanks, bud, for joining. I really appreciate you uh, supporting us here tonight. Um, let's get on to the second question. Uh, again, Crystal, as a, as a hiring manager, what are the most key skills, experience, or knowledge that stand out to, to us in the industry? Is there anything that is in very high demand in retail right now? Um, Joseph, I'll let you go with this one first, pal. I mean, I'm throwing you under the, the hot seat here. Is, it, is this the first time you're seeing this uh, question? So uh, I'll, no, I'll... this is, this is, I love, I love these questions because I've, I've, you know, I've, I've interviewed a lot of people in my career, 20, you know, 21 years in, in the industry. I've hired, you know, entry level positions right through to my replacement as managing director in, in Canada, right? Um, so I've seen a lot of resumes. I would say one of the you know, a couple of things that I look for in any role, regardless of whether it's a junior level role, senior level role, e-com, performance media, it doesn't matter. I'm looking for really, you know, two people that have shown experience in resourcefulness and initiative. Those are two things that are absolutely critical for me, right? So in a lot of roles, you're not going to have a mentor with you every day or someone that's going to teach you every single thing that you need to learn. So someone that's able to show the initiative that they can go figure things out on their own, right? So that's where initiative and resourcefulness really come together for me. And I typically try and find ways to ask how, you know, can you show me examples of how, you know, of how you've been resourceful, how you've overcome an issue or a challenge um, in your career without any assistance, right? And how did you go? Tell me about that process that you went through to identify that issue and then ultimately find the solution um, for that issue. I'd say initiative and resourcefulness for me are probably the top two. Yeah, I, I love that answer. Um, I, I have a hard time when I'm hiring folks and I don't really hire for skill set and I'm kind of biased because 
as I've mentioned on my podcast, I've grown up with a learning disability. And if people just went with what my resume kind of dictated, they wouldn't know the true me. So I try to make sure it's more about culture. And um, as you as you said, Joseph, that uh, willingness to get their hands dirty. And, you know, I always compare people to and after I hire, it's probably a pretty bad habit with Walmart. When I took on e-commerce, it was literally I walked into a meeting late. They said, Chris, we're going to give you for being late punishment. You're going to build Walmart Canada a website. And then I bought a book, HTML for Dummies. I took a flight to Bentonville. I learned coding in three days, came back and started building um, this wonderful platform for Walmart Canada. And I didn't have a boss to go to and ask, hey, what is SEO? What is tagging? What is an anchor on HTML coding? It was grab that book, figure it out, do a Google search, figure it out. There was nobody in in my building that I could really depend on to take the time or, or help. So here I feel like, and, and I try to be empathetic and I try to make sure that I'm, you know, coaching and mentoring and doing all those right things. But I also do really appreciate someone that I can just be like, Hey, I need drop ship vending done and then I'm done. And I'll see you in a, a month when you're ready to present to me versus me finding all those answers for you. So that's, that's a type of attitude and culture I want to see from a person in an interview um, from a skill set in the industry right now, I think <clears throat> I think too many people go down the path of being a specialist and not enough go around the path of being a generalist. And what I mean by that is if you look at the leaders in the e-commerce world, some of them know paid media, some of them know social media, some of them know, you know, logistics. And but what fails to happen when you just become a specialist is you don't connect the dots on how all of these elements connect together or how you're impacting the business or how my job today, if I went and did a social media post on, I don't know, the latest and greatest barbecue is going to impact the guys in the warehouse because I didn't communicate to them to have a skit of those things ready. So to me, I think try not to be so siloed and you can want to focus on being the best email person in the industry, but you better be learning all the other touch points of retail and e-commerce and store level to help round round yourself out. Crystal? Love that. Yeah, really great tips. It's um it's always interesting, you know, because everyone comes in with such a different perspective. And again, it's, you know, resume over interview. You you know, you talked about Joseph resourcefulness and initiative. And those are sometimes a little bit more challenging to put on a resume, you know, depending on your position. So you have to kind of find a way to make those known on a piece of paper to get you the opportunity to get in front of someone to be able to communicate that more clearly. So, you know, it's interesting to hear different points of views. I personally love seeing um, any type of stat on a resume. You know, if anyone can talk about any type of target or goals or any type of statistic, I think that those are really eye-catching. Um, but yeah, I loved your your examples. Great. And we have a lot of uh, comments coming in. So Lee, Lee, uh, Lee is such a, I wish all of you guys, I wish I could bring him on right now. Lee is such a great guy. I've just met him uh, recently here at Home Hardware. And uh, he says, don't forget about attitude. And then he's also making a recommendation of uh, rate this Why Journalists Triumph in a Specialized World. It's a great book. Um, so I'm going to have to put that on my, my Audible uh, book list because I, I haven't had it. So maybe I can write it. Because um, I, I really believe in the generalist. And then we have uh, Dave also suggesting that what successful uh, pre-interview preparation would uh, he would suggest is um, mm -hmm. understanding the company, I guess, and then the people you meet as you 
you go through the process and going and researching them and making sure you're familiar with them. So great, great comments. We, hey, we have another guest that we're going to invite in for the rest of the show. Uh, and I'll allow Raj to uh, introduce himself. Hey, guys. Sorry for being a little bit late. I just came no. back to the office. And I appreciate uh, joining in. I'm Raji, um, co-founder of PeopleTail. Uh, we're a community retailing platform. Welcome, Raji. We're so excited hey, to have you with us. Hey, Joseph. Hey, Crystal. Nice to meet you. You too. Um, so uh, Ian McLeod just asked a question here. So we'll, we'll jump to that. I, I have a list of other questions. But what does a sales rep have to do uh, to book a quick chat with you? <laughs> <laughs> He has to do stuff like that, I guess. I'll, uh, Ian, I'll connect you with uh, Haley, my my new administrative assistant, to uh, connect us. That's brilliant. I love that. Great question. <laughs> it was funny. I, I remember um, a gentleman that used to run a company called Webfeet, and uh, he was sitting in the lobby of Walmart one time, and I, I just my, – my calendars are booked. I mean, I try to start as early as possible. I'm in the office at 7, and like tonight I won't leave until 7 at night and I go from, from meeting to meeting to meeting and still I don't have enough time to give to everybody. And uh, so anyways, he decided to sit in the, uh, in the lobby of Walmart and he heard people saying they're going to go and visit me. And then he, he actually spoke to them. And so when they got to the uh, meeting with me, they were like, Hey, so-and-so is downstairs. He really wants to meet with you. So because of that, I actually took the time to go downstairs and have a conversation, but it, it worked. It was great. It was a brilliant move. But Ian, I am so sorry. I, I, I will try to do better. Um, so that was great. Does anyone else have that problem or is it just me? Oh, meetings occupy life these days. Yeah. Especially I'd say, you know, since everything's changed to being virtual or mostly everything's virtual, it's like, Wait. you know, yeah. yeah, you're lucky to have that 15 minute interval. You know, it's like one's ending, you're joining in the next one. So, so we'll get on to actually, Raji, you're here now. So you want to ask your question? Uh, yeah, for sure. I was, you know, being in, involved with e-commerce for a long time. It's always interesting to see other people. You know, I'm, I'm fascinated by like the Shopify app store, and there's always new features, new tricks, new you know integrations that are happening. And I think, you know, there's, there's, there's a plethora of so many great features that are there. Just wondering if, uh, you know, from Chris and obviously people like Joseph and Crystal, yourself too, what do you find will be some of the new standards that like, what are the new features that are coming in e-commerce um, that are going to be like these features that like every site should have them. Um, otherwise um, they're going to get left behind. Well, I was just on a, a meeting with a company called Idevise, um, and I suggest anyone to check them out. Um, I'm going to butcher spelling them, so I'll, I'll make sure I get this right. Uh, <clears throat> I-A-D-V-I-Z-E. And I got on to a tremendous rant on their podcast because uh, I, I think we lack innovation. And um, <clears throat> yes, we're getting better with innovation from a logistics standpoint. We're getting better with with personalization, but these things have been around in concept for a long time now, and maybe they're they're kind of ramping up. But where where I touch on a little bit of some of the innovation I'm looking for, I want a universal cart. I want that universal cart so bad, mm -hmm. so that way when I'm shopping, whether I'm shopping my site, Amazon site, whoever, I can just build my one cart, check out, and and then the the dollars filter through the appropriate companies. I want that so bad instead of creating a profile, creating another profile, forgetting that password, 
it is such a terrible experience in digital and we don't have to do that in digital. I, mean, I get in a store because you're going from store to store, but from a digital world, I, I think we need a, a universal cart and it'll make me spend more, that's for sure, because it would be so convenient. Um, and then on the other standpoint of features that I'm looking for, Raji, is that <clears throat> when I talked about the fact that in 2004, I built my first website, Joseph Knows, with Walmart. If you look at that website today and the websites that are around today, they're exact same thing. Search mm -hmm. bar at the top, navigation at the top, navigation down the side. And we, we invite everybody into the same front door, even though we have so many different personas. Why do we consistently do that? So if I'm a pro shopper, if I'm a DIY shopper, if I shop for just decor or fashion, why is my entryway the exact same for every customer? I think personalization will do a little bit to help that. Geo for, for your, your, your weather patterns and stuff will, will help. But ultimately, I don't think the website is your gateway for every customer. I think you know you can use social selling for certain cu customers. You can use hear how videos on YouTube to mm -hmm. engage and sell through that channel. And then you, you use a different persona for your, your core website. But I, I think we're thinking about it wrong when we think about um, just driving 1.5 million, 2 million people to your homepage. And, and then we wonder why they bounce after 36 seconds. Joseph? Yeah, honestly, like up, up and coming tech is is incredibly important, but I, I always have to bring it back to even the basics of e-commerce, right? And I work, you know, primarily with e-commerce brands and, and my clients. Many of them are retail focused, right? And many of them are apparel focused. Um, and the brands that, you know, I, I continue to talk to, even, even current clients of mine, just the base fundamentals of e-commerce oftentimes are still not there, right? Um, whether it's in the way that they've set up their platform or set up their Shopify experience or layered on multiple experiences onto um, onto their website, the way that they're optimizing their content, the way that they're syndicating it, the way that they're, you know, driving demand gen, there's a lot of basics that are still just broken across the entire industry, right? Yeah. Um, and that's from, from a round two perspective. I mean, that's really our focus is getting in there and fixing those those base, you know, those more fundamental elements of, of e-commerce, right? So that we can then layer on the more advanced tactics and strategies. One of the ones I love, and I work with apparel a lot, is um, is fitting. We have a client called Andcollar, A-N-D-C-O-L-L-A-R.com. They make basically men's dress shirts out of recycled plastic bottles. Um, they're very cool. They've, they utilize, you know, every relevant Shopify app that you can imagine, one of the ones that I love the most is their fitting tool, right? So they, they use a tool where you type in, you put in the measurement of your, your, your forearm, your, uh, your biceps, your, your shoulders, your stomach, your chest, everything. And it, it picks the right shape for you, the right fitting um, shape for you. This is something that's like 101 for apparel brands, right? And you mm -hmm. can go to the majority of them. You still don't see tools like that on it. Um, <clears throat> So just thinking about the customer experience, if someone's buying online, what are the things that they're going to need to have so that you can not only convert them, but eliminate the chance of them having to return that product because it's not right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, great point. I also, in the in the industry, what I've seen from going to different events, I mean, this is now a while ago because we can't, haven't traveled in so long, but is the the innovation around, like there's dimensionalizers for 
for apparel so you can dimensionalize your body. Um, I love the VR stuff that's happening and the fact that you can grab um, a photo of a piece of furniture, put it into your actual room setting, and it's actually far more accurate now than it's ever been. Before, it just looked like you were dropping in an image against the wall, but now you can actually situate a room, grab four or five different items from a from a, a catalog and start to build out that look. And I think those things really inspire a customer. And it's that's to me is about selling the dream to a customer, not not just selling a product. Is allow them to build that project out that they're trying to to accomplish. So those those VR tools I think are great. Um, I saw some YouTube video the other day where you know you put on the the, the VR headset and you're able to walk into a store and you get greeted by. Um, a sales associate, and then all of a sudden the aisles pop out of the ground and you're able to walk down the aisles virtually and start building your virtual cart. And then, you know, at the end of it, you check out and take the headset off and the stuff's delivered next day. I mean, that is, I, I think, that'll stop me from ever going outside. <laughs> but it will be interesting. What do you think? I mean, you're, you're in the, you're in the uh, e-commerce space as well and in retail. So what do you think are some of the innovative things that you're seeing? That's me or Crystal? Yeah, sorry. I'll I'll ask. I'll start with Crystal. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Well, I specifically just can answer as a shopper, but I think that the things that are a little bit challenging are definitely about what Joseph was talking about about that experience and sizing. I mean, especially come from a woman's perspective, I think that so many brands have the same sizing, but yet it's completely different actual sizing, you know, so if you're saying that you're, you know, a size six in one company, that could be a size, you know, eight in another or a four in another. So you're ordering these things based on the sizing charts, but then you're getting it and it's not at all fitted for your body, right? So I think I'm not alone when I have like $500 worth of, you know, items to return as soon as stores open up again. And I know that everyone's in that same boat. So finding a way to make it more accessible that, you know, again, I love that plugin where you can plug in, you know, your actual dimensions and then it populates where you can go as far as sizing. Um, So that would be really important. And I think that some are just, too many clicks to find what you're looking for, you know? So sometimes when you're looking for something specific in terms of a category, but yet you don't know exactly, you know, it's like you want to browse the aisles, you know, you're missing that opportunity to browse without it taking so much time, you know, something that I can go into a store, browse these specific aisles and actually, you know, have an idea of what I'm looking for. Now it's taking me so many clicks and yet I'm being, you know, baffled by so many things that maybe aren't what I'm looking for, but sometimes the platform doesn't give you the opportunity to plug in the necessary criteria to be able to populate exactly what you want. So from a buying perspective, sometimes it's just too frustrating um, and it loses me as a buyer because the platform isn't properly set up. Yep. Oh, you're on, you're on mute, Chris. Awesome. <laughs> <laughs> that's a rookie mistake right yeah. there. <laughs> that happened once. <laughs> and Rajesh? Yeah, I think, um, you know, what I'm, what I look for in the future and, you know, um, you know, we, we look at the way that I look at the way that I shop and the way that I make purchase decisions around non-spontaneous things like, you know, what is a TV, car, stereo, headphones, anything I'm looking at, you know, we, we, we look to find something online, you know, you do your pricing and understand you read, but you jump to YouTube and you go back and forth. I think bringing in the user generated content to make it much more prevalent into the shop, like, like literally seamless into the shopping experience. I think people like my business partner says it well, and I think we're going to move into a generation where 
you know, e-commerce, you know, 101 or 102. But the idea of future of us for e-commerce is like people just don't want to see the product sitting against a white background. What they really want to see are how people are using this product to make their life better. And that can be everything from a barbecue to like we do a lot of health and wellness stuff, but like demonstrations around health and wellness products. Um, but people bringing them into the mix and, you know, turning around the stigma of around uh, like a lot of people think the word affiliate is like still a four letter word. Um, I think it started off that way in 2004 when, you know, a lot of big retailers like Walmart and everyone else started pioneering. You know, the idea of it was really built for this banner generation. It got a lot of better options in the early days. But I think like we think, you know, like when we like we use Walmart a lot as an example of, you know, when moms are looking for inspiration for other moms, like what are they buying? What's going on? What are you using? Did this backpack work? Did this work? Did this work? And actually showing real life examples, but make, making it fun and rewarding for people to be part of the retailing platform itself. So we think, you know, we e-commerce to us is just a logistics engine. That's all it is. It's a money to way to capture money and get an order to ship the product out. That's typically what it is. And everyone else can pile on top of this fun and really be part of a content experience more than ever. And, you know, um, you know, we use Walmart a lot in our, in our, in our, in our, in our examples, but we think people are going to be a big part of that. And we think, so I think just, I think our future is really betting on, and thinking about people and user-generated content and to make like, that's an, a must part of every shopping experience. And, and this is why I brought up iDevise. I mean, yeah. iDevise and Salesforce both have a very similar um, concept. So Salesforce is more engaging with the associates. And mm-hmm. if I'm online and I, I know Joseph is my sales rep at my Fergus store, I can connect now with, or ask to connect live with Joseph through the website mm-hmm. and, have that confidence that Joseph's going to help me pick out my paint. Um, and we've, we've developed a rapport. I've shopped with him locally. He knows my projects. He knows, he knows my 14 year old son by name. So it's going to give me a lot more confidence to shop um, even though it's virtually, but I'm still getting that touch point with, with the associate. And, and I, I term it micro micro influencer. So mm-hmm. I think when you can leverage your associates, it's better than the influencer program. It becomes a micro influencer who has a rapport and a connection within the community and store of the community is becoming so big that the micro influencer is going to play a bigger role. If we put structure from a retail perspective to allow our associates to build and engage. So I love that from Salesforce. What I love about iDevise is iDevise is actually taking. So in our industry, so the example they showed me was with Lowe's and, and I don't know that they're still doing this, but ultimately you have user generated content and you have this network of pros and the the pro can connect with customers online when they have a question about electrical plumbing or whatever. Um, and they would then advocate for your items and it becomes more authentic because that pro is smart. He understands, you know, you're trying to build that deck in the backyard. Here's some tools that I would recommend. Here's some tips on how to build it successfully. You know, make sure you go get your permits or whatever. And I love the fact that we're leveraging those pros um, to support our general customer or general consumer and tying in that network. So it's not just the brand advocating for itself. You leverage those advocates. And I love, I love what they're doing. That's amazing. Amazing. Yeah. I I love the whole concept of UGC, right? And I think, you know, a great example of this is just the sheer level of detail um, and and feedback that you can get from, say, an Amazon product detail page, right? For a for a popular product. The amount of feedback that you're getting from your customers on the things that they love and the things that they hate or the things that they didn't understand, 
is enormous, right? So being able to take that UGC and, and identify what are the things that people love about this product? And then are we addressing those in our product descriptions and in our images? And that can kind of fuel a lot of your content recommendations on your product detail pages, whether you're selling on an Amazon or a Walmart or your direct to consumer channel, right? But it also helps you identify what are the things that people hate about my product? Or what are the things that they're confused about? You know, what are the common questions that they're asking? How can we pull those things out of the UGC and pull it into our content as well? So we can either filter out people that are going to buy our product and not be satisfied and give us a negative review, or we can answer those questions in the commentary so they're more comfortable by making the purchase, right? So I think UGC in a lot of ways is, is absolutely key. Agreed, agreed. Okay, so David's been making some comments or Ugly Wolf, which is still brilliant. And I'm, I'm going to call him that from now on. Um, <laughs> so he's he, he was basically saying that the the industry would not get um, engaged with a universal website. And I just wanted to clarify myself on that. I, I think we can have multiple websites. What I'm looking for is a universal shopping cart, a checkout where I can add, you know, if I'm shopping my site here, I'm going to add my hammer, my broom that I need. I'm going to add maybe a few other things. But then when I go to, I don't know, uh, RW Co., which I absolutely love, um, I'm going to add the dress shirt that I want and I'm going to add the the tie that to go with it. And then I'm going to go to the next site and I'm going to do the same thing. And then I'm going to hit checkout and I'm going to get all those items from all those retailers at once. Um, and then it's just one checkout, one profile. And I think that can be done. And I, I, I don't think, believe that hurts um, any retailers or manufacturers by being customer centric. Um, mm -hmm. And then the, the next piece that he was talking about here is uh, GF, GFK, um, utilize, offer manufacturing data content, uh, high-res images, um, product and lifestyle. So you, I guess to Raji's point is customers are not looking for that white background. While we as retailers do that to just make sure we have a nice clean image, um, the ones that I think are doing it right add 360 images or they'll zoom in. So for example, we've done a few tests where we, we take a shot of a snowblower and when you get the 360 image, you're able to zoom in on parts and you're able to actually zoom in and see the size of that front and make sure that's going to actually fit in your shed versus just having a standard flat image. And I think all of those 360 images really, really help out. Uh, Raji, if you're um, you go on. Mute sorry, there. sorry. No, no, no problem. I do it all the time myself. Actually, a, a true story I had to edit out of one of my, my other ones. I do this podcast from my office. And uh, one of the ladies that cleans our office walked right in as I was in the middle of the interview and she was like shocked to see me. It was the best. I don't know who was scared more, me or her, but it was, uh, it was pretty funny. Um, I must say, Chris, you have amazing lighting in there. Oh, you know what the secret is? Is I bought one of those halo lights for $59 off of Amazon. Yes, there you and go. I, I watched a bunch of YouTubers, the true YouTubers that do like fashion and makeup. And so I have this light, it's blinding to me, but it, it, Gives good skin look, right? Like, look great, man. Look great. <laughs> it was brilliant. Okay, so th this question came in from Chi. Chi, I did an interview with a few days ago um, about the um, uh, benefits of growing your brand on Amazon. And his question, though, was more about sustainability. And um, basically, want to know what what can we as retailers do to help with well, sustainability? And are we thinking about sustainable options when it comes to e-commerce? And you know, especially these days when you're having you know, every single day an Amazon or another package show up at your door, 
should stop saying Amazon. When you have a home hardware package show up at your door and, uh, and you just, it becomes this constant, like it feels like Christmas every morning because these packages are showing up. But is there, is there a way that, uh, and what are we doing to try to reduce this to zero waste packaging? So if anyone's got any examples of good, good things they're seeing out there, I would love to, love to hear it. I don't know, Joseph, if, uh, if you're uh, engaged with that at all. You know, I think this is probably more of a, an opinion of mine versus uh, anything based in, in facts. I don't really touch um, package design or you know any of any of those kind of things. But I think you're you're really seeing commitments from the larger retailers, at least in a lot of sustainability um, measures, right? So it's it's very difficult to get to a larger corporation now and not see like you know a chief sustainability officer or something along those lines. So I think the fact that those types of roles are becoming more common in organizations just proves how, you know, sustain sustainability focused a lot of these companies are. And it just so happens that many of the largest retailers out there, like the Walmarts, like the Amazons, they all are taking this into effect, right? They're all electrifying their fleets and all, yeah. they're all, you know, a lot of them are moving into more EPACs and, and, and those types of things, encouraging their retailers to have EPACs um, on their e-commerce digital shelves. So I think they're moving in that direction um, and I'm, I'm happy to see that. And I hope it continues to, to, to move in that way. Crystal, as you're shopping and getting packages delivered back to you, or you've been uh, working with different folks in the industry. Have you seen anything that's um, taking impact uh, into the environment? Yeah, I'd say that, you know, some of our clients seem to be doing it better than others. Um, I think that there's still a lot of work that can be done because some of the packages that get received either are just way overpacked, you know, meaning you're getting that one small item in a very large box. Um, and so I think that sometimes it's an opportunity that's missed for that complete experience to come through as well, too. So, you know, even shopping from certain apparel brands, sometimes you miss out on that luxury bag that you really enjoy as part of the purchase experience. Um, now you're getting it online and it's just coming in, you know, a bag, not even a box. Um, so just that plastic bag that you rip open, it just has a different feel and it loses a little bit of the appeal. So I think I'd like to see some of those higher end brands where you're accustomed to that different treatment. And again, where the bag and, you know, it's part of their whole brand image mm -hmm. that it would be nice to see that continued brand voice come through as a delivery. Great point. Mm -hmm. Rajit? Yeah, Chris, I'm with you. I'm, you know, I think, I, I think we still got some way to go. I think there's a lot of pressures on margin, on, on the sale, cost of goods, you know, the packaging. And then there's not too many suppliers that are doing inexpensive. When we think about profitability per sale, there's a handful of companies, I won't name who they are, but they're, you know, in the Ontario region, if you need boxes, you need the corrugated material, you need something, you look at packaging as an option. But I think more and more brands are starting to explore to bring in proprietary private label, like branded pieces of uh, packaging material that are a little bit more sustainable. You know, I don't think anyone wants an experience where you're getting like a small, you know, marker or something inside your box and it takes the box taking so big. It's happened many times. Like I've received numerous Amazon packages. Like I can't believe they just sent me a whole, like I thought it was something massive and it's, Oh, it's just that. And it's like, so there's, I don't think it's their fault. I think there's just some, you know, there's some rules that they're following, but I think the industry should push into this. And I think there will be some leaders coming out where there's better packaging options, tighter efficient, you know, it's much more uh, form fitting, 
but I think we got a long way to go still, maybe a couple of years till we really start to see that become much more efficient and much better for everyone. Yeah, I'll tell you some of the things I'm looking at. Um, so, you know, instead of getting boxes that are pre the sizes are predetermined, there's a machine that actually will customize the size of that box. So once once a customer's created that package, it gets sent. The order gets sent to our DC. If we have all the dimensions right, mm -hmm. um, basically what will happen is that will determine the size of box that um, that we need to print. Basically, print out live in the warehouse, and I think that's going to really condense the, uh, the the packaging, and so it will eliminate some of the filler that has to go into those boxes as well. <laughs> and then when you look at the the filler, there's there's these recycled. How many of you get the boxes and they have those bubbles um, that are just just a waste, right? They're just, just there to stop the item. So now there's recycled paper that you can actually inflate, and that recycled paper will actually go inside the box instead. It's a little bit more costly, but I think so worth it. So looking at those things uh, to help, I think obviously, Joseph, you mentioned electrifying the, the delivery system itself and the, the trucks that we're sending products in. Um, and then, you know, I think... One of the other areas is, and I, I hate to, but the automation in the warehouses, thats it's got to be key because the, the amount of electricity through getting stuff through from one shelf all the way down to the truck has to be looked at more efficient. Um, that, that will help. And then, uh, Joseph, I think you touched on this as well, is really negotiating with our suppliers to have packages that are ready to ship in e-commerce. Instead of these things having to go back into another box, just ship the product itself um, would make a lot more sense to than to just keep building boxes on top of boxes because there's a lot of cardboard that's in people's garages right now waiting for recycling day. Um, so I, I think hopefully, Chi, you got a few tips there that uh, I'm looking for in the industry. So um, if you need more uh, more insight, I have actually did some research on this one. So I have probably another 20 tips, but uh, I don't want to turn this into a two-hour uh Q and A. So I, I have one more, Chris. Oh, sure, yeah. I think for for anyone that's that's actively selling, right, whether they're through their own direct consumer channel or through an e retailer, the amount of accidental purchases that are coming through are insane. And by accident, I don't mean I accidentally clicked buy now and it showed up at my door. I'm saying, you know, I, I got to a product detail page, I read through it. I thought this is what I was getting. It shows up in my door. It's not actually what I'm getting, right? It's not the right size or it's not the right color or there were, you know, the, the, Im the color in the image is way different than it is in, in real life, right? It's up to retailers, right? Whether it's direct to consumer or any retailer to figure that stuff out and to eliminate those, give the consumer the right information right away. So you can eliminate those accidental purchases, right? Because mm -hmm. to ship a product to your house, one of the biggest expenses for a lot of these players is shipping it back on these fossil fuel engines. It's putting it into more cardboard boxes and the whole thing just ends up in a landfill anyway. So I think retailers and, and brands and manufacturers, uh, they need to do a better job at improving their on-site content so people know what they're getting. Yeah, I agreed. I think um, we've actually invested and I'm going to butcher the name of it, but I call it a dimensionalizer. So when our uh, suppliers give us the specs on a product, we actually double check those in our in our DC. We put each product, weigh it, measure it, and make sure we have the right dimensions and attributes to that item. So that way consumer will know that it's going to fit in their home uh, when they make that buying decision. So great point, Joseph, as always. Um, Sam has a question for us. 
this one is a loaded question. Um, how do you think the e-commerce landscape will change when all stores open up again? How much of an impact will we see? Uh, I'll jump on this one right away. So here's what I think is going to happen. Uh, I, I think that consumers are going to flood back to the stores in a big, big way because uh, we're social creatures. And that experience of just being in a mall or being out with your family, it gives you guys, it gives us something to do. But then I think people are going to retreat because they're going to remember how much that retail experience sucked. And it does. In a lot of cases, you're dealing with people that are, are miserable at their jobs right now. They lack empathy. The experience is not as fun. It's like it's almost now that we've made it glamorous in our mind because it's been so long since we've had this great experience. And what's going to happen is they're going to flood out. Then they're going to come back. And then over the course of six months, a year, we're going to have a, a real level set of of e-commerce being not up 30% um, in, in leveling off to maybe uh, historically, I think we're about in Canada, it was the 10% rule. We're always 10% of the US or 10% of, of our retail store sales is what we kind of measured ourselves on. But I think we're going to be in the 20, 25% and growing. And I think what needs to happen is retail needs to rethink itself. Um, and that store experience to keep people long-term is going to have to change. Because now it's going to be that experience is not going to be what people are looking for. Raji, so I was making making some notes while you're talking. Um, I, I I'm actually going to argue that to do to the opposite. I think I think I think the one thing that we've learned through COVID and we'll continue to learn that there's one thing that we can't buy is time. And I think we're starting to value time with family and friends and the, the meaningful time that we can spend and. I think what we learned is that there's a lot of efficiencies of taking back time to do things that were probably were taking up sucking a lot of time. They're going to the malls, going to places, getting things. I think people are being forced to learn certain tactics and the human behavior and character that they actually can't unlearn. Like my dad is 83 years old and he's ordering, he lives in England. He orders groceries every two weeks from Tesco. And, you know, I think he's just put it and he's, he's very happy with the quality. He's learned how to deal with customer service. He's learned what to do and, how to deal with them through getting things that are ripe and not ripe. And at 83, he's learning these. And I think would he go back to going to pick up groceries when he just knows that every Sunday he can show up at, at his door. I think um, the sales, the store staff are going to be more involved in helping the e-commerce efforts to grow because obviously, yes, they're going to be there, but being, as we said earlier, Chris around helping answer questions live online, being part of the chat engines. Um, I think, I think I, I argue that I don't think it'll go back to flooding back, maybe a little bit in the beginning, I think just to getting out of the door, but I think people will just spend more time and just figure out ways to order things faster. And I think Amazon and Walmart and a lot of these major companies, home hardware, I'm sure, I'm, I'm sure too, have invested a lot more during COVID into the resources and the staff and the engine. And they're going to continue to accelerate these because it's everyone's pushing forward faster and faster and faster. And it seems to be a very competitive landscape where you know, what the big guys are doing it, everyone tries to follow suit. And there's more and more side hustlers that I have a lot of more Shopify stores have probably opened up as well during this time. Um, I think I think online is here to stay and I think it's just going to continue to grow. And I think people would just crave time and just, uh, you know, to save time wherever they can. That's really about it. Yeah, I love that perspective. Uh, I appreciate the disagreeing. I don't want us to all agree because then it would just be my show and I wouldn't need any guests. So I appreciate that for sure. But no, I, I think we're saying the same thing. I, I do believe that 
there, there does need people want to get out of the house and um, maybe it's, they're going to flood to parks. They're going to flood to some vacations, but they're, they're going to do something. And I do think that the malls will see a pop from this. Um, so, and then I agree the efficiency, the fact that, you know, even I, I actually, this is a true story. My son and I um, never went ice fishing before. And because he couldn't play hockey, uh, rep hockey, which took up five, six days a week, um, historically for since he's been three, four years old, um, we, we've missed out on all kinds of other experiences. But because of COVID and because of hockey not happening, we took on ice fishing as a father and son thing to do on the weekends. And now what he's asking me for is when's it going to get cold again so we can go back ice fishing? He's not asking about hockey. He's asking about those moments with me, which is like just melts me. But he's asking for those moments where we can just get back out in the ice, listen to some music and just connect versus getting back onto the ice and really competing. And he's I think he's now 14. So he's going to be like he's not going to the NHL. So he's rather create some moments versus this competitive nature that uh, we, we thought was the right uh, avenue for him. So uh, I love that perspective. Thank you, uh, Crystal. Yeah, I think it's, I'm still team, you know, in-store experience. I think that sometimes I feel that I'm opposite to, to what you were saying, Raji, is I find it takes me longer to buy things online, you know, where I'm a much more efficient shopper if you can get me in the store and I can get it and be more decisive. Where online, I'm just torn between all of these other things that I'm not there for that are enticing me. Oh, and I'm going to click here and then it's going to bring me here. And then, oh, I'm looking at this and then, oh, here are the, you know, what other people are viewing. And then I'm clicking onto that. And then suddenly I'm not even sure of what I actually came here to buy. So I'm looking forward to definitely going back because I find it actually takes me less time when I'm in store. So again, it's it's a different perspective and some things I find just very challenging to purchase online. But I do agree that some things... Um, you know, paint, for example, you know, purchasing paint with the app, you know, where you can, again, plug in the colors and you can take the picture of the room that you want to do. And all of a sudden it's, you know, testing out exactly what you'd like to see in that room of your house. I can't imagine going into a paint store for right now where I'm getting such a great experience in that way. So I think it depends on the product and the moment and so many factors. So I think yep. it'll be like what you'd said in certain other podcasts is like that blended shopper, right? The it depends shopper, on the day. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, I'm glad you listened to my podcast because I, I do refer <laughs> to them as the blended shopper now where it's not one channel or another. It used to be they're either an online shopper or they're a bricks and mortar shopper. That that has gone the way of the wayside. You are you're gonna shop which channel suits your needs at the right moment in time, depending on how the week's going, depending on how your mood's going. You'll mm -hmm. be in store versus, you know, if I'm tonight watching the hockey game hoping that uh, Vegas loses so Montreal can just sit there and rest a little bit longer. I'll be doing shopping. I'll be doing couch surfing. And, uh, and then tomorrow I might go and actually pick up that item, but tonight I might research and buy, or tonight I might research and tomorrow I'll buy. So it, it drastically changes now that we have this, um, more rich experience through our devices, through the store. So, and as Raji was saying, we, we actually have stats with the, uh, the elderly who have historically said, we're not going to shop online because of fraud. We're not going to go do online banking because we're just nervous of this. COVID has changed all of that. They have now adopted digital in a big way. And how many of them will go back to, I want to go line up and wait for a teller to help me at a bank? Or are they going to just continue to do their banking now that they're all set up um, on, on digital? So it will be interesting. Joseph, I know you got a perspective. You've been biting your lip here to jump in. 
Definitely. Um, I think, you know, even before COVID, this trend, this trend towards online and away from store has been happening for a long time, right? It just accelerated very quickly over the last 10 years or so. Um, the challenge has always been that there's just too many square footage of retail per consumer in, Nor in North American markets specifically. You go to Europe, you go to Asia, it's not the case, right? But in North America, US and Canada specifically, there's just way too many square feet per, per, per customer. So that's why you're seeing so many vacant, vacant lots, right? Is because those stores were closing down. A lot of these retailers have gone bankrupt, but a lot of them have just shrunk their footprint, right? Um, that was obviously accelerated extremely by COVID. But I think as we look towards the next 6, 12, 18 months, there is so much economic um, stimulus that's been ramped into the economies that doesn't matter. In-store is going to explode. It's going to surge for sure. E-commerce is not going to slow down anytime soon because of those two things, right? People are going to shop. It's the summertime. They're going to shop anyway. Q4, I think, is going to be the biggest Q4 that we've ever seen by a long shot. Because I think there's so much pent-up demand and there's so much stimulus and economic activity. Retailers have to be ready for a huge surge in Q3 and Q4 of this year. Because it's going to happen in both e-commerce and in in-store. Yeah, it's a great point. And, you know, from a Canadian perspective, our Canadian dollar has strengthened. I am so looking forward to doing some shopping in the U.S. because now my dollar is up probably 10 cents by now when you take it all in, uh, which is fantastic over the last six months. And then on top of that, if I want to go get a line of credit, the line of credits are dirt cheap. It's like free money at this point. So any type of a big investment that I may have been putting off, this is the perfect time for me to do it because um, except for lumber, unfortunately, has gone up so much. Um, I might have to use steel studs to finish my basement versus versus <laughs> lumber. But uh, that's a that's a topic for another day. I see Sam's got uh, a comment here about he thinks that uh, stores will just become showrooms or not just, but will become showrooms for the e-commerce experience. Um, and I, I think that's there's actually um I think it's in Chicago and I saw this company that's investing in peer play digital players and setting them up on a, in a street in Chicago where they have a bunch of different showrooms and um, they're taking these peer play digital players that have this unique experience and unique products and putting them into, into a bricks and mortar, which is usually the opposite, right? Like it's all of us retailers wanting to go online, but this is um, so I, that's exactly that. It's a, a street of showrooms. You don't actually go and take anything out of there, get shipped to your home. And I would love, I need to follow up on it. I want to see how it's doing, but I know that's happening in Chicago. They have that, yeah. they have that in New York too. It's uh, in the Hudson yards. It's it, that's basically the way it is. You can't actually buy anything in it. You just walk around, you scan the QR code, you order it and it shows up at your house um, a day or two later. Isn't it funny how QR codes were like dead and now all of a sudden they're everywhere again. And now they actually make sense. It's like email was dead too. And now it's like, you know, the top channel for most retailers. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Okay. Um, let me see here. A couple more questions. Oh, this was um, Robert from, from Google actually uh, sent me this one earlier this morning. He said he couldn't make the show, but he wanted to have this question responded to and he'll watch the, uh, the video after is he just, he just wanted to comment on, what are some of the changes that have been brought on by COVID that retailers are still struggling to address 
um, as it becomes the new norm. Um, so I, I definitely have an opinion, but uh, the last two I jumped in right in on. So Raji, I'll get, get to you on this because I want to disagree with you this time. Awesome. Thanks. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> uh, sorry, what, what, can you repeat so, the question so I'm clear? Yeah. Basically what he's asking is based on the last 18 months, retailers mm -hmm. have been trying to and struggling to keep up with the pivoting and changing. Um, and what, what he's asking is what do you think the new norm will be um, from the technology? Maybe it's curbside or, or, buy line, pick up in store. What, what are some of those things that you still think we're challenged are challenged with, but will be the new norm? Um, I think from an e-commerce perspective, you know, I'll, I'll speak specifically. I'm, I'm only really focused a lot on the health and wellness space and the natural product category. I think inventory issues has been hard. A lot of matter, like supply chain of getting products in. So there's been a lot of in outages suppliers that are out of stock and there's inconsistencies of doing it. Um, labor has been a challenge trying to get people that are there today, not, you know, consistency of labor of people that may be dealing with personal issues, mental health issues, um, COVID issues, anything related to COVID. It's been really difficult to keep steady, consistent labor days that they're supposed to be there. Days are not supposed to be there inconsistent pay. So it's a lot of these things that have been a factor of, of, I think of COVID has really been this roller coaster ride of. I don't think it's been a fair playing field of people being able to find their footing and say, you know, we're going to make investments in here and we're going to see this through. I don't think they've, it's been an ever, you know, revolving door of ups and down challenges of what they can do and what they cannot do. So um, I don't have a perfect answer for this one. So I think you're going to be able to, <laughs> it'd be easy to uh, uh, disagree with some of my comments today, but um, I'll leave the mic, you know, the mic rather to Joseph and Crystal on this one. Yeah, which, uh, Crystal, would you like to go first? Sure, yeah. I think that I agree, actually, Raji. I, a lot of our clients that are in retail, what we're seeing the most issues and challenges with is keeping up in that supply chain. So a lot of, you know, requests coming in for supply chain, everything in terms of the whole logistics side of things. Um, so that's been almost labor and supply chain all in one because they're needing more people to do those jobs and not able to keep those people in those jobs. Um, so finding a way to find that balance. And it's been interesting, even on a shopping buying perspective where I see it. And I think that one thing that companies could do better, maybe specific ones, um, is almost that communication throughout that process. So, you know, for example, I'll order something. This happened just last week made an order of apparel for my kids and then great, you know, the money came out of uh, my account and then no email communication that normally comes through saying, yeah, it's on your way. Here's your expected delivery date. And then two days later, the money was reimbursed in my account. Again, no email. And I was like, okay, I guess they were out of every single item that I ordered. And then two days later, the package arrived at my door. And then that same afternoon, the money was, you know, or came out of my account again. So it's just like a very strange experience where, you know, there was no communication from the company letting me know what was going on. Obviously, it must have been some type of an inventory issue where, you know, they went for the product, it wasn't there, but then they recently got it in and, you know, were able to put it out. But yeah, certainly a lot on the, the inventory side. Joseph? Yeah, I mean, that, that's a great point. Um, I'm, both Raji and, and Crystal have great points there. Um, I would say to add to those, I think, you know, e-commerce e was not a priority for a lot of physical retail brands, right? 
And it was not going to be a Friday. There are many CEOs, you know, from Burlington Coat Factory to TJX, who owns Marshalls and HomeSense and Home Goods, and they said we're never going to have e-commerce, right? And they closed their e-commerce shops literally weeks before COVID became a thing, and they're paying the price. They're ultimately paying for the price. Even to this day, a lot of them haven't set up, you know, even fundamentally sound e-commerce practices. And then you end up getting a lot of the issues that you know, Crystal was just talking about, right? My wife is an interior designer. She buys, she used to go into stores to buy goods for her clients all the time. She's shifted completely online. And I can't even tell you how many dozens of bad experiences she's had where products didn't show up on time or they didn't show up at all or orders were canceled and she wasn't notified. There's just so many broken elements um, from a lot of these brands forcing uh, e-commerce onto their priority list without doing it properly, really. Um, I think that's, you know, a huge issue for them. Wow. You guys have uh, wrapped this up for me. I don't even have to give a response to it. That's, that's fantastic. Um, let's have one more question here. Cause I know it's a uh, seven o'clock now and, uh, um, I really appreciate you all being here, Joseph. We didn't get to your question. So I would love to, uh, have you asked that. Oh, sorry. My question is, and sorry, I was on LinkedIn here. Um, my question was around how can uh, how can brands like Home Hardware, for example, that are moving towards e-commerce or heavy e-commerce, um, manage their brand building media activity versus their e-commerce focused media activity? Well, uh, to me, they're 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 intertwined for one because it's our brand. Whether it's so, the one thing I try to sell internally all the time is I, I ask the organization to stop referring to us as e-commerce. And what I mean by that is we're another store. We might be the biggest store because we have 1.5, 2 million people a week coming to, to our storefront, but let's not refer to it as e-commerce. And it's a, it's, it's, we're just a checkout on a catalog essentially right now, but we're not, we're more than that. We need to, we need to invest in forecasting for this store. We need to invest in allocating inventory for this store. We need to make sure that, you know, one of the things that people love about our brand, and, and it's one of the reasons I came over here as an iconic company, was the product knowledge that you get when you walk into that store and you start asking questions to those associates and they're so engaged and they're so helpful. And they make sure that if you've bought something and it needs batteries, that you're not leaving without those batteries, that you get that complete package. So when you're home and you're working on that project, you're not having to go out and make another trip. You don't get that in a lot of stores like these folks really care and give you total service. But that service is not translated in a digital experience right now. And that's my job. I need to make sure that every time a customer comes to that website, that they're getting the same treatment that they would at our store level. And that's why I talk about some of the guys like Salesforce and iDevise is because I'm trying to replicate that. And, and I really got that early on in my career when I worked for Future Shop. Uh, I touched on this before I learned to thing called guests. So greet, understand, educate, secure, and thank. It's, it lives with me today when I'm doing uh, websites, when I'm actually going into meetings with people, is to greet them, understand them before you start. I love to talk, but I need to listen more, right? So understand understand the either my manager, my staff, understand my customer, and then I can get into the education piece once I truly understand them. Uh, Joseph, you do this all the time when you're meeting with new clients. You don't walk in and you offer a solution day one, you go and understand what they're trying to achieve. Then you come back and you offer a solution to how you can help. 
but so many people want to jump to that solution. And it's just like a website today. Here's a recommendation because you happen to search a, a, a black summer dress, black, probably bad idea for a summer dress, but what do I know about dresses? But a black summer dress, and I may have been searching that product for a gift for my wife or for a gift for somebody else, right? Like, and then the next time I come back to the site, you're serving up summer dresses to me. What a brutal experience that is. Like, I just wanted to do that one search. And now all of a sudden it's on my profile and it's on my personalization. So we need to get better finding technology that's going to really understand that customer coming to our website and offer them service, not trying to sell them items, offer them a service, and then they'll buy items from us. And that's my soapbox. That's a great answer to a trick question. (laughs) (laughs) They're right. I mean, to to that, to your initial point there, like they're one in the same. They're one in the same. If you're you're working, if you're, if you're a big, if you're a large brand with, um, you know, a, a big media expenditure there, at the end of the day, we have a lot of clients that ask us, well, what's our attribution for Facebook and Google and, and, and all our, and YouTube and all our other, all our other channels. But the answer is, look, you spend, three times as much on TV as you do on any one of those channels. So why aren't you layering in TV into that aspect, right? Right. Now, every single performance digital channel at least will have some sort of e-commerce focused product, which, you know, which allows you to push towards conversion versus awareness. Um, But at the end of the day, it was, you know, it was kind of a trick question. (laughs) But here's Uh, here's the thing, Joseph, is sorry to cut you off, my friend, but when I think about e-commerce and, and, you know, building a PNL that says, you know what, I'm going to do X millions of dollars a year. But if, if, if I'm doing my job right, does it matter if I do the millions of dollars on my e-commerce checkout or if I've influenced hundreds of million dollars at store level? You, you can't look at one in a silo and say, right. hey, all of a sudden you didn't deliver the millions that you said, but over here you overachieved and we're not going to measure that. Come on. It's, it's about that whole ecosystem of where customers shopping and what online plays as a role, whether it's research or buying it, you're influencing the sale in one channel or another. Correct. Raji. Um, I'll speak to the, I guess the industry that I'm in the natural product category. So we went from a stage of a lot of independent health food stores. These are mom pop shops that, we're forced to kind of look at going from a static website to e-commerce over the past 18 months. I think I personally set up over 60 or 70 sites myself um, where they typically just had like, you know, basic, you know, website about a section hours of operation. They've never touched the website. There was no content changing and they predominantly used even Facebook as a primary way to communicate and manage things. They realized that they had to be shut for portions of the COVID period and up and open and not open, but they transformed e-commerce. And their social media had to change as well in terms of not just, you know, even though they were closed, they couldn't just be Sally all the time. And I think I forget the name of the book, that Gary Vee book, but it's like, you know, jab, jab, right hook or punch or something. Where it's like, I always tell them like, you know, like if you're going to be now you're in the e-commerce business, um, you're going to be promoting things that are available on your website, um, offer value, offer inspiration, offer education, offer how to's, offer all kinds of give a lot of value, but don't ask for the sale. You know, because if they think that you're just being selly all the time, your ways that you communicate with your consumers, which is could be just Facebook or Instagram, um, you can't come off to be that. So you still need to be a destination of inspiration, education, and you know all that. And um, 
and embrace that people may come to uh, purchase with you, may just want to engage with you in different kind of ways. Like our my other family, uh, you know, as I said, my dad lives in England. My mom got remarried, but they run a, a fabric store near Yorkdale Mall, and they're they're in their seventies. And you know, one one of the things that they were concerned about was that. You know, Raj, we're going to put up a site and, you know, will people not come to the store anymore? Will they not do this? And so they are now loving e-commerce, loving Shopify, but they're they're now getting more business, I think, where people are are shopping online, but also coming to their location because they're providing a lot of value and inspiration of what to do. And so people may see them instead of buying in store online, they're coming to in store, I think. So to, to close out, I think, you know, what's really happened over the period and I used to space that I'm in is that e-commerce is accelerated the the ways that consumer retailers can communicate with them from a branding exercise, provide value, provide all kinds of, you know, ways to to learn about products better. And e-commerce is just a side effect. If they can make the purchase online, they'll do it. If they come in store, they do it. But it's a big branding opportunity. On the, and it demonstrates the kind of way that you're going to communicate with your customers. Um, provide value all the time and the results will follow. Yeah. Great. Um, okay. Uh, we're a little bit over time. I, uh, Crystal, if you have anything to add to this, let me know. Um, otherwise I have one question left. So to each of you, if anyone's been watching and going to watch this um, afterwards, um, Joseph's got a way to con connect with them right there in, in the name, but Joseph, how can uh, folks reach out to you? Yeah, you can you can email me at joseph at round2digital.com or you can uh, you can reach me on uh, on Instagram, you can reach me at joseph mc or joseph.mcc that's my uh, handle on Instagram. So joseph at round2digital or joseph.mcc on Instagram. And Crystal yeah, the best way to connect with me is on LinkedIn. And uh, so it's just Crystal Boudreau on LinkedIn. And you'll see that my contact information, email and phone number are there as well, too. Great. And Raji. Thanks. Thanks for leaving me last. I, I edited my name. So I saw that. Great uh, job. Uh, Raji at peopletail.com. Peopletail. Um, yeah, just send me an email and uh, connect with me on LinkedIn. And Chris, you're doing an amazing job. I've, I don't know, it's something about your, your, your shows and your podcasts. I can listen to them all the time, but they're a wealth of knowledge and continue the great work. Uh, thank you. I mean, it was a leap of faith for me doing this. Um, I just, uh, it's, you know, watching yourself and listening to yourself is the worst experience in the world. I, I'll have to tell you that it is like, there's not one show that I truly am I'm happy with, but um, uh, I, I love it. Having folks like you bring knowledge and expertise to to anyone listening is, I think it's about collaboration and being, you know, a network of people to help everyone improve and not just be competitive as I've said this a number of times. And I truly believe that. So thank you all for spending an hour or so with me tonight. I greatly appreciate it. Uh, I'm so excited to continue this Jersey. I just passed my 10th episode um, and a couple of Q and A's here. And, and I look forward to doing this again with all of you. So thank you so much. Have a great night. Amazing. Thanks guys. Thanks everyone. Thanks, Thanks guys. Care.